You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to your Canadians Connection on Rocket Sports Radio. This premier hockey podcast featured at CanadiansConnection.fm brings you the latest news, in-depth analysis, and expert commentary about the NHL's most storied franchise, the Montreal Canadiens, hosted by Rick Stevens and Michael Spinella. Our team of credentialed journalists provides behind-the-scenes insight on the Canadians, designed to inform, entertain, and engage Habs fans around the globe. We are proud to be the trusted source for all things Habs for more than a decade. This is the Canadians Connection Podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio, keeping you informed, engaged, and entertained, of course. Uh, Hello. Welcome. My name is Amy Johnson, and I am stepping in, keeping the seat warm for Michael Spinella this week while he has this Saturday off. Uh, And I'm very excited to be here with you as your host for the show for episode 257 of the Canadians Connection podcast. And of course, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by my co-host, who is the editor-in-chief, founder, and president of Rocket Sports. That also now includes being the site editor for the Hockey News Montreal team site at THN.com slash Montreal. All of that as a big way of saying, hi, Rick Stevens. How are you today? Hey, Amy Johnson. (laughs) And hey, Montreal. Oh God! Uh, I know, I know. I'm I'm the furthest Please thing from my, yeah. I don't get country. I don't do country. I don't listen to country. But it's uh, Lasso Montreal this weekend. Yeehaw! Yeah, I'm. I live in Pennsylvania. I'm, I'm so. But don't you wish you were in Montreal this I weekend for I the country actually, festival? I'm a little. I'm a little jealous that uh, that they get to enjoy a little bit of good old country and western, which is actually quite an American music genre but alive and well in montreal this weekend and there's going to be lots of montreal canadians uh at the festival um yeah we're watching some big names jake owen chris stapleton brothers osborne brothers osborne's good i i don't know any of these people (laughs) (laughs) lay lay hey babies Uh, is that is that an yeah that's a group that'll be there okay i'm not going there i unfortunately there are some modern country artists that i like but I am a more of a classic, like right. particularly '90s country, uh, and and definitely '80s and a little bit of '70s. Right in with Charlie Lindgren, as we learned a couple weeks that, well, ago. Well, that's right, that's right. We did talk. I, we talked about that with him a, a little bit as well. Um, so I do like some of the newer acts. Um, there are there are there are those uh, that that I like, but I'm a little more of the the classic lineup myself uh we're gonna have a great show for you today um we're gonna bring you some of the latest roster news that's been going on there's some comings and goings and 
splashes and trades and all sorts of fun things. Uh, we're also going to get you updated on some things related to Habs prospects, as well as some general NHL news. And that's all before we dive into our big topic in segment two, uh, Basically looking at what are what should be our realistic expectations of the Montreal Canadiens in this upcoming season, given that they are going to be a younger roster and lineup. And I Much think Much younger, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's uh, there's a lot for us to discuss. Uh we're gonna take a look at, you know, what the the makeup of the roster could and should look like. Uh give a little bit of thought on uh, maybe some early thoughts on what the lines could be looking like, things like that, what the competition is going to be like for the Canadians this year, all sorts of aspects of that, which is going to be really fun to dive into, kind of whet the appetite a little bit as we get inching closer and closer to September when training camps will start. All of that, of course, then leads to segment three, where you get to have your say. We'll get you caught up on all of your latest content uh, from around every Rocket Sports platform, in case you missed it. Uh, we've got a great interview coming up with another one of our team members uh, in the third segment, uh, where Michael Spinella will be hopping into the studio just to uh, chat with one of our team members in the continuation of that series. And uh, then we've got uh, some great comments from our listeners. We've got a new question of the week for our listeners I'll give you a sneak peek so you can start thinking about it. Uh, what do you think was the best player addition or deletion mm. from the roster in this offseason? Uh, so start thinking about that. Uh, we'll we'll want to hear from you, of course. Uh, and if you do want to chat with us, if you've got an answer to the question, if you've got uh, a question of your own or a comment or a suggestion, you can Always remember that this is an interactive podcast. You can text us at any time on the Rocket Sports text line. That's 5853-ROCKET. Again, that's 5853-ROCKET. And, of course, be sure you're following us on social media. You can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And, of course, visit our website at CanadiansConnection.fm. That's where you'll find our complete archive of episodes in case, just in case you happen to be on vacation or holiday and, and you missed one and you want to go back and catch up. That's the best way to do that. Uh, but as you mentioned, Rick, uh, it is Les Montreal this weekend at Parc Jean Chapeau. Uh, Caden Gooley, the Jack Eye brothers, they're all going to be there sporting their best uh, Western gear, I would imagine. For sure. Um, <laughs> Anna Yuri Slavkovsky will be there. Suzuki's uh, there, Nick I Suzuki, think. Josh Anderson. Yeah. Uh, both of the, the Jack eyes, Florian and Arbor. Um, and if you uh, pop by the uh, Canadians website, you'll see a, it's a cute video with Caden Gooley. He's um, kind of an uncomfortable celebrity. Uh, <laughs> and he was uh, uh, going to a vintage shop where he was getting some Western gear and uh, he was asked um, they had a a hat that was uh, of a minor league hockey team and and the uh, attendant asked um, is it okay if it you wear gear from a different hockey team he said yeah as long as it's not the Leafs um, good, so, job. Yeah, good job that was a good answer and uh, in one outfit he got dressed up with a kind of a checkered shirt um, a, a vest and a bolo tie and he said you know what I, I think I kind of look like my grandpa in this one. Yeah, so, um, I think they're going to have a great time uh, all the Canadians that get out to um, Lasso Montreal this weekend and you probably will too if you're in Montreal absolutely and um, grab 
some extra. I'm sure the food's going to be good, too. So grab something tasty uh, on my behalf, because I won't be able to be there. But we'd love to hear if any of you make it out. Um, there was uh, roster news to talk about this this week, um, including there's been an, ad- an addition and a deletion on the roster in terms of sponsorships. Uh, ever since its inception, uh, we know that the Broussard practice facility on the South Shore uh, has been known as the Bell Sports Complex. Well, Bell Media, no, no, no longer the naming sponsor for that building. It will now, effective immediately, in fact, uh, signage should be changed inside and out. Uh, if it hasn't been done so already, it's imminently coming. It will be now known as the CN Sports Complex, uh, Canada's largest railway transport company. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty exciting. I, I think I'll still just call it they're at Broussard today, but <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. very few called it the Bell Sports Complex. And uh, but yeah, it's a nice to see the the CN logo uh, on the front of the building, the, the CN noodle, the CN ribbon, whatever you prefer to call it. It's called both. Uh, but nice to have a, a, a large sponsor like that um, on uh, for the, the Broussard facility. Um, there was also an addition to the scouting staff. So see, not all of the, not all of the additions and deletions come on the actual playing roster. Sometimes they just happen all over the place. And in this time it's the amateur scouting staff, uh, former NHLer Fernando Pisani added on the Canadians, uh, scouting list. Yeah. And uh, this is, this is something, um, we've talked about before, uh, where the the Montreal Canadiens uh, webpage, their hockey operations staff, um, they are often uh, behind uh, in in updating, and and there's no typically there's no press release announcing um, folks that come and go. So this one uh, was noticed. Um, Fernando Pisani is now on uh, listed as a scout. Uh, an amateur scout uh, added to the, to the group, um, 46 years old, former NHL player, mostly um, in Edmonton, played for the Hamilton Bulldogs, but that's when they were a split affiliation with Hamilton and, and Montreal. Um, play, played for the Oilers, as I said, uh, has been involved with the uh, Edmonton Oil Kings, WHL, um, and then some uh, AAA uh, minor league work. Um, but he is now added to the scouting staff, and uh, folks have noticed Matt Turk no longer there with the Hamilton Bulldogs, Joy Tenute. Um, he scouts COHL, uh, Andrew Whiteside, um, an undeclared scout. We're not sure what area he scouts. <laughs> uh, but um, Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon promised that they would fill out uh, their hockey operations crew, and, um, well, Fernando Pisani is just the latest uh, there. There was uh, a new official deletion uh, coming off of the Canadians roster uh, during Kent Hughes media availability this week when he revealed that, yes, in fact, uh, Paul Byron's playing days have pretty much officially come to an end. There will not be a return to the ice uh, for Paul Byron uh, which is, I don't think that's the biggest uh, surprise for most people. I think the the question now in everyone's minds is, does that mean that Paul Byron is going to stay with the organization and just take on a different role? Yeah, not a surprise, as you said. Uh, Paul Byron's contract, uh, final contract, was up at the end of June. 
Um, I thought Kent Hughes was a little uncomfortable when he was asking these kinds of questions because, as he said, it's it's preferable that Paul, if, if it's a retirement uh, announcement that's coming, it's better that uh, Byron makes that announcement uh, on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, and But there's obviously a, 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 a real willingness to have him as part of the organization. Um, as an injured player, you know, the, the group of injured players usually sit in the press box together. And Paul Byron was there for, for many games. But oftentimes he was in the, the press box with Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes and that group watching games at the Bell Centre. Um, and perhaps uh, learning uh, that side of, of the business. So um, uh, Kent Hughes said that they're, they're going to sit down with with Byron uh, sometime in September and uh, try to determine a position with the club. The reason Kent Hughes had a media availability this week was due to um, Jeff Petrie's trade, which we're going to get to in a minute. But I think whether he intended to or not, uh, there were a number of things that ended up getting revealed in this in this media availability that were not to do with Jeff Petrie's trade whatsoever. Uh, Paul Byron's status was one of them. The other, uh, another one, I should say, because there's there's still more to come. Uh, another was that um, the team hasn't received any news from the NHL regarding the eligibility of Logan Mayu to play in the NHL. In fact, um, the way Kent Hughes worded it, it sounded like Mayu has had, it sounded like, he didn't say this per se, but it sounded like Mayu has had a meeting with Gary Bettman and that they're just waiting to hear back from Bettman in the NHL. Yeah, I think that was that was the news, small bit of news, but still news that the meeting um, seems to have happened. Uh, we remember uh, uh, Bettman uh, was asked about it and said, oh, he was too busy with the draft and he's too busy with this and that thing and that he'd get to it. Um, you know, in early July. Uh, so sometime it happened. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, and I think it's a poor decision uh, by the NHL, um, they're, they're not ready to announce uh, that they've given him uh, permission um, to play um, just yet. And and I think it's going to be, you know, if it happens just prior or, or even during training camp, uh, then then it's going to be... You know, a mass mob uh, of it's media. Zoo, uh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be awful for for Mayu. That is really, really unfortunate that that Bettman doesn't foresee, or may, or maybe he wants to put the kid through that. That that wouldn't surprise me. But uh, is there any question that he's going to say no? Well, listen, um, Mayu already signed a contract, uh, an entry level contract. That contract would have had to have been approved by the NHL. So. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's an issue of, of you know, uh, something outstanding or he's gone through all the hoops that uh, the, t- the team has placed uh, in front of him, the NHL and, and even the OHL. Um, and he's, um, you know, he's been a model citizen through through those steps. Um, so I think it's it's going to come. It's just going to come with uh, attached with a bit of um, uncomfortableness for for Mayu, I think. Which is unfortunate, but hopefully we'll get to a point where we can just start talking about Mayu May and evaluating his hockey. <laughs> right. Um, so, yes, that does bring us to the big reason why Kent Hughes met with the media this week, and that was uh, just nine days after acquiring Jeff Petrie from the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, a deal in which the Penguins retained 
25% of Petrie's salary. Uh, he has flipped Petrie to the Detroit Red Wings uh, for defenseman, a defensive prospect, Gustav Lindstrom, and a conditional fourth round pick uh, in 2025, which will be either the later later pick of either Detroit or Boston. Uh, but the caveat there is that Montreal retains 50% of Petrie's remaining salary, which I believe is the next two seasons at a little over $2 million a year. So um, it's um, it's kind of mouthful just to flip Jeff Petrie, uh, but uh, he's heading off to Detroit, which I think is uh, going to be a, a good place for he and, and the family to settle. For sure. Uh, lots, lots of aspects of this trade, but let's... Let's start by hearing from Kent Hughes and how this trade really unfolded. You know, I called Jeff. I said, listen, I, I know you didn't go to bed expecting to hear from me this morning. I was probably one of the last people you expected to. And, you know, I know they were as a family uptight. They've got four four young boys and they were about to uh, start school in two weeks. So I gave him my word. I said, listen, you know, we saw an opportunity here to facilitate the trade between Pittsburgh and San Jose and to help ourselves um, but we're mindful that you've got a family in your own career and, and Montreal's probably not the place you're expecting to play. So, you know, I promised him that we would we would work expeditiously to to get him moved and that we wouldn't drag this out trying to maximize every last uh piece of value in the trade. And and you know, it probably took a little longer than we anticipated, but but hopefully uh I spoke with Jeff again and he was thankful. And yeah, I think it's important. We, we want to build an organization. That doesn't mean we're going to do things um, that are in a, that are against the organization's interests, but when we can work together to do what's best for ourselves and, and the players, we'll always try to do that. And we do hope that uh, over time, you know, players take note and, and want to be a part of it. So, um, as I said, lots of lots of pieces there, um, but I think it's clear. It, it should be clear to everybody listening to that. Uh, the Petrie was a member again of the Canadians for nine days, and in the mind of Ken Hughes, that is much longer than he had intended uh, that to, to happen. Uh, he wasn't. There wasn't a consideration that that they'd add him to the roster. Um, maybe look to flip him at the at the trade deadline and maximize that asset. You heard you heard Kent Hughes saying that was not in the cards, and so when it's being painted as uh, you know this was a charitable thing for um, Kent Hughes to do to send him to a place that he wanted to play, um, uh, Jeff Petrie maybe uh, yes partly but but more so. It met the 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 goals of the organization uh, because number one they wanted Petrie out of the way to free up uh, spaces for their young defensemen to develop. Number two, they didn't want Petrie's um, cap uh, as it got close to the uh, opening night, and we'll talk about why that's important um, in a minute. Uh, but I think the important part we learned in the press conference is that the, the reason this came together the way it did, and, and I should say, um, this was a, a complete roll of the dice for, um, for Ken Hughes. Uh, he, was, he became a broker. He, he became involved in this three-team ter- trade, Eric Carlson going to, to Pittsburgh to facilitate the trade for the other two teams and to see if he could roll the dice and get something. 
Uh, if somebody was really desperate to needed a you know a Jeff a puck moving defenseman like Jeff Petrie, maybe he could get um, a, a, a decent asset. Didn't play out that way, but it was worth the the roll of the dice. However, what he mentioned uh, in the uh, media availability, um, he was under the impression uh, Kent Hughes was that the Canadians were on um, Jeff Petrie's. Uh, 15 team no trade list mm-hmm. uh, and you might and and that seems reasonable um, the Canadians were not on that list uh, why is that is that because you know he was with the Canadians went no those lists are reviewed every July 1st and changes are made um, so he was he didn't uh, you know put the Canadians on that list and say no to it that way once uh, uh Kent Hughes found that out from um, Kyle Dubas. They were able to be involved. Um, but uh, now the Canadians, you know, the Kyle Dubas had a problem. Uh, he just shifted that problem to uh, Kent Hughes, and Kent Hughes was able to um, to be involved with that and get some some assets. Absolutely. But the question is, you know, what's what's Petra's reaction to the whole thing? I, I would think particularly, you know, they were ready to leave Montreal when they we, what that wasn't uh, much of a, a secret. Um, and going back to Detroit is ideal for them. I, I love the fact that he has opted to wear his dad's Detroit Tigers number from when from when Dan was a pitcher for the Tigers. Uh, so it's it's going to be a really uh, memorable, memorable time, I think, for for Jeff Petrie um, becoming a member of the Detroit Red Wings, and and for his whole family, it'll be special for sure. Um, and and yeah, I, I think there's a, a false narrative out there that the the Petries hated being in Montreal. That wasn't the case. It was specific to the the COVID restrictions. It was specific to healthcare um, and having. Um, extended family close to to look after to help mm-hmm. uh with the child care of the four boys so um no I, I i but but this scenario um is is ideal um and it's something we learned from jeff petrie's uh presser is that kent hughes said uh listen where do you want to go uh asked uh jeff petrie and and petrie gave him a list of teams he said the number one destination on his list was Detroit. Um, he's able to go home, as you said. There's the connection uh, with his dad. Uh, that's a really nice story for for the Red Wings, and um, it's also that the it fits into the Red Wings uh, rebuild as they were looking to add um, a veteran uh, defenseman to that group that they have. Uh, Petrie gets to uh, possibly play again with Ben Sherratt. They were a pair for a time in in Montreal, so that works out. Um, Julie seems happy that there was a, she, she posted a picture of a beautiful bouquet of flowers that, uh, the, uh, women of the Detroit players sent her. Um, I, I think this is, this worked out for, for all involved, um, really, um, maybe not, not, uh, the Canadians in terms of what they were able to get back as, as Kent Hughes said, um, they didn't maximize the value, um, but they had some other goals in mind too, rather than just uh, rather than just maximizing the players and assets in the trade. Well, one of the pieces that they did get back is young defensive prospect Gustav Lindstrom. Uh, he has played the last two seasons, 
solely in the NHL. However, last year only played about half of the games for Detroit. The other half of the games, he was a healthy scratch. So it was not the most uh, star-studded year for for Gustav Lindstrom. Um, Let's hear just a little bit about uh, from Kent Hughes why this was a guy uh, that they that they agreed to take back on the Jeff Petrie trade. And as far as Gustav Lindstrom's concerned, uh, our, you know, our pro guys like him. They feel like he's a really smart puck moving defenseman um, that he still has a lot of room to grow in his game. They, you know, I think the number that they threw out was he was about 70% of what they believe his potential is. Uh, and he's young. He's 24 years of age. He was a high draft pick. Um, you know, he's a Swedish player and Detroit's had a lot of success uh, in that country over the years, drafting wise. So we're, we're, we're hopeful that Gustav can come and, and add an element to our team and we'll see where it takes us. So um, I think Kent there is trying to put absolutely the best face on this prospect that they brought back um, and, and saying that um, he is 70% of the player uh, in, in the, the words of, of the pro scouts of the Canadians, 70% of the player uh, that he might be, um, uh, eventually become young. Uh, that's a question mark. Uh, he's 25 years old in October um, when the season starts. Um, and and listen, they, the the Red Wings, if he was a promising prospect, would not have gotten uh, rid of him. They're in. They would love to have um, a young defenseman as well. Um, he just um, had. In the words of, of the folks that cover um, uh, the Detroit Red Wings, he had taken a major step back. As you said, uh, he had only appeared in 36 games last year. Uh, he missed um, 11 games near the uh, start of the season, and when he returned, uh, he was just completely inconsistent. Uh, he was in and out of the lineup, and, and uh, his minutes were, were cut back considerably. Um, which led to the the Red Wings. He was an RFA as of uh, July first. The the Red Wings did not offer Gustav Lindstrom a qualifying offer. He was signed as a unrestricted free agent, um, and and it was so bad that uh, the Swedish media had reported uh, that Gust- uh, Gustav Lindstrom and his agent had made inquiries all over Europe uh, to see about the job possibilities uh, because it hadn't worked out in Detroit and he was looking to return to Europe uh, for this coming season. So in 36 games uh, last year, he was a minus 16. Um, His um, average ice time was about 14 minutes. Uh, For 22 games of those 36, he was with uh, Robert Hag, which... They, they really struggled on the third pair. Um, he was uh, on, the, on the ice for nine goals for, 17 goals against. He wasn't a plus with any partner that he played with. Uh, minus four in 13 games with uh, Jordan Osterley. He was a minus three with Ole Mata. And he was even a minus uh, when he played with Maurice Sider. So <laughs> okay. Um, that's tough. He was a minus seven in his last eight games of the season. He had a rough, rough season. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I chuckled when I heard, you know, some, some places talking about him as a second pair for the, or, uh, you know, in, in the top four for the Canadian. I, I, no. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, no. the one plus he does have 
the one plus. He's a right shot defenseman, mm-hmm. and he can move the puck. Um, so that might help him. But um, r- just keep in mind uh, that he saw himself playing in Europe, not the National Hockey League this year. So uh, really temper your expectations on this player. And so when you take all of that into consideration, plus the fact that they're retaining 50% of Petrie's salary and include, of course, the conditional fourth-round draft pick uh, in 2025, um, I would say what I have said in, in in this week was that I was overwhelmingly positive about the first part of this whole deal, the three-team trade, the acquiring Jeff Petrie, getting Mike Hoffman off the books, Rem Pitlick out, that kind of thing. Uh, I I was a bit underwhelmed with this, with the flip and, and retaining 50% of salary and what he got back. Yeah, I think that's fair. And there's good parts and bad parts to this trade. Um, you know, a lot, it's, it's great that Mike Hoffman was moved and it's great that in on paper, Mike Hoffman was moved without retaining any salary. Yeah. Uh, but when you when you look at it overall, and Jeff Petrie was in and out, that that four point five million dollars um, that was due to Mike Hoffman this year is really just it's two point three five for Petrie this year and next year is is just is, there it is. Um, so it 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 didn't really work out that um, that Mike Hoffman was moved without salary retention. Uh, it's almost, uh, you know, 100% in, the, in this case split over two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I, I really don't like the fact that there's salary retention for two years, for the next two years. Yeah. Um, and, and we remember it's, it's $2.34 million because uh, Pittsburgh has a chunk of that, 25%, and then the Canadians have 50%. So a great deal for Detroit. For Detroit made out really well. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but uh, when you look at the money that's going to Petrie, we remember there was salary retention on uh, Joel Edmondson, and there's dead cap money for Carl Alsner. That's $5 million uh, dead money uh, on the cap this season. Um, and there's also, what, what bothers me a little bit, is uh, the the retention slots. You're only allowed to retain salary on three contracts. The Canadians have used two already this se- this season uh, in Edmondson and Petrie. Um, so if you're expecting, when, when there's trades going to happen at the trade de- deadline, you expect the Canadians would want to be involved with that. You would expect that other teams would, would want the Canadians to retain salary. They only have one left this year and they've already used one next year um excuse me and the the thing that that bothers me a little bit about next year is that you're looking at expiring contracts christian dvorak yoel armia jake allen david savard are all on expiring contracts next year and if the canadians are sellers which they probably will be in 24 2024 25 um there's there's only two retention spots available in it you know the the cap is one thing and maybe you don't think that 2.35 is 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 a bad deal but it's those retention slots that are going to come into play um and that's that's tough um you know casey DeSmith is the other part of this 
um, and um, involved in in the big picture. And one of the things that was uh, came out is we were expecting that this was going to provide some uh, flexibility, some options if Caden Primo was was taken. Um, when put on waivers uh, and and sent to uh, Lavelle. Um, And so then maybe uh, Casey DeSmith could go to Lavelle. One thing in that presser that Kent Hughes said that surprised uh, a number of people was um, that Kent Hughes reached out to Casey DeSmith and said, don't worry, we're not going to bury you in Lavelle. Um, so, so you might go to another team. So or... yeah, yeah. There's something else that's going to happen there with Casey DeSmith. And again, uh, this was this was part of taking on other um, teams' problems uh, in order to get the real asset. Here is the second round pick in 2025, to a lesser extent, the, the fourth round pick. But that that second round pick is is the best uh, part of uh, the the trade for the Canadians. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's switch gears now a little bit. And uh, we've talked about kind of some of the veterans that have been on the roster. Let's talk a little bit about a couple of Habs prospects. It's time for the Rocket Report. The Rocket Sports Media team is your premier source for information about the Laval Rocket, the AHL affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens, as well as Habs prospects playing in the CHL, NCAA, and leagues around the world. Bookmark THN.com slash Montreal to follow our comprehensive coverage of Canadians' prospects. First up, uh, the uh, ECHL affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens, the Trois-Rivières Lions, uh, have signed two more forwards this week. Uh, that is Joseph Mizzy and Matthew Boucher. And if you want uh, the information on all the signings of uh, the Trois-Rivières Lions, uh, head to THN.com slash Montreal. Chris will have a, uh, Chris G will have an article out about those signings. Excellent. Always good to see those. Um, as far as the AHL is concerned, uh, Scott Wheeler has a, has a new article out at The Athletic where uh, he talks a bit about NHL prospects that he was wrong about. And interestingly enough, um, there is uh, a Canadian's prospect in in that line. Actually, he has two listed, but the one that we're going to talk about uh, is Jan Mishak. Um, and he talks about how uh, Jan Mishak, he loves Jan Mishak's play every time he sees him, and he doesn't understand why uh, why that what he has seen him do hasn't translated into bigger numbers and a bigger role in that type of thing. And Rick, I know that you're going to have plenty to say about this. My reaction once I read what Scott Wheeler had to say was, if you would, if if what happens in Laval would be giving more priority to time, confidence, and space for the young prospects to step up and succeed, then I don't think Jan Mishak would be in the situation that he's in. That's uh, funny reading it. Alan McShane is the other one. Yeah, uh, but he's more of. Uh, a standard. I was wrong. Um, I I think I think he was wrong on Alan McShane. Yeah. Uh, this one, um, uh, Scott Wheeler said he's stumped. He's completely confounded. He doesn't understand. Um, he says, uh, and and he said, "There's no lesson for me here because every time, I'll I'll quote him. Uh, quote: Virtually every time I've been in a rink to watch Jan Mishak." In the OHL, World Juniors, Memorial Cup, Rookie Tournaments, and even in the AHL, 
I've seen an impressive player who works hard, has plenty of skill, and looks to me like a better prospect and player than his numbers in the three seasons since he was selected. Um, even yes. When I, and yes, <laughs> the tape and some of the tracking that's been done all support my belief. He plays hard. He plays a translatable style, and he, I, it just hasn't clicked um, in the AHL. And he can't understand it. He's like... Uh, I had this in the final draft ranking. He had uh, Jan Mishak as 12. He, he praised the Canadians all over uh, for picking him up at 48 in 2020. Uh, and it hasn't happened. And what Scott uh, doesn't know is this is something we've been talking about um, for a while. It's and so frustrating. And listen, we just have to be frank. We're going to be honest. This is poor coaching in Laval. This is poor development um, by the organization. Uh, with respect to Jan Meshack. And this is something that has to change and has to change drastically. Um, coaching staff in Laval has prioritized uh, veterans, popular players, um, and Jan Meshack hasn't got the ice time. He's been out of scratch far too often, and he hasn't been given the responsibility. Um, you know, he he's um, a, in a very effective uh, defensive-minded forward, who can shut down play, he needs more time uh, at, on the face-offs, in big moments, he needs time on the penalty kill, he, and he needs an opportunity to show his offensive side as well. Um, this, is, this is fascinating because, um, you know, Scott's, Scott is just confused here um, because all of, everything points in the direction of uh, this player having success, and the only thing in in um, uh, that's an obstacle um, is is the coaching. And let's hope that changes because there's going to be a ton of prospects in Laval this season. And you know, being a healthy scratch, coming in and out of the lineup, being pushed farther down in the lineup when you do play, not giving, not getting all of the opportunities and so forth. You know, I've I've heard people. Um, whether it's fans, whether it's media, I've heard people use the, well, he doesn't, doesn't work hard enough. I don't know what, what is it in practice or, or off ice or whatever it is. And my response to that is there, you know, we know that every prospect is different and, and approaches their development differently. And it's quite possible. I can't say this definitively because I haven't had a conversation with Jan Meshack about this specific topic, but it's quite possible we've seen it happen before that because of all of the instability and the and the unsure of when when you're playing, where you're going to play, how long am I in the press box, that kind of thing, it strips a young player's confidence. And that confidence can then snow that lack of confidence or reduction in confidence can then snowball into what kind of an effort they make in practice if or what kind of an effort they make or their attitude off the ice if they feel like no matter what they do, they can't get ahead and that type of thing. I'm not saying that's what's happening here. That is my best educated guess as to what is possibly one factor that's contributing to this situation, but that's what's got to change. Yeah, if those if those comments are being made, they're nonsense because the, the player that I've seen play works hard, practices hard. Um, I'll read it again from Scott uh, Wheeler. He said, I've seen a, an impressive player who works hard. Um, and then a little later, he said, he plays hard, plays a translatable style. Um, it, it's simply the fact of, you know, he's he's not a, 
uh, a popular player. He's not a, a he's he's delightful when he's when you interview him, um, but maybe hasn't grabbed the charm of of the Laval fans. But um, you know, Laval is not there to develop. Uh, and Alex Belzeal, fortunately, he's gone. Or, mm-hmm. or similar types of players, they need to, to develop the prospects they have. And I want to see a whole lot more of that um, this season. Absolutely. Uh, don't forget, you can find all of our content and coverage about the Laval Rocket uh, and Habs prospects by bookmarking THN.com slash Montreal. I will be back on the beat for the Laval Rocket uh, once again this season, as I've been doing since uh, 2015, back when they were the St. John's Ice Caps. Uh, and of course, Chris G will be back on the beat as well. So uh, we'll and have Patrick Williams and Patrick Williams yeah. will be there as well. Of course, he joins me uh, right now in the summer. We're on the every other week schedule, but uh, come the season, we'll be back on the weekly schedule for uh, the Press Home podcast where Patrick comes and gives us his insight on the AHL and the Laval Rockets. So be sure to bookmark THN.com slash Montreal. Uh, Just uh, touching on a couple of other NHL-related news items before we take our first break. Um, Jonathan Taves, um, former Blackhawks captain, coming out this week, not making a retirement announcement, but making an announcement, an off-season announcement that looked a whole lot like the one he made last year. Uh, where he needed to uh, tell his fans and followers that he uh, once again is is stepping away from hockey. It doesn't sound like he has plans to play this season. Uh, his struggles with um, just his physical recovery and and recovery in general from dealing with long COVID and and things of that nature over the last couple seasons seems to be continuing. And so he still needs some time away from the game, but is. Was was sure to mention that it's not a retirement announcement, but uh, we likely won't expect to see him uh, this season. No, and and that's that's really sad. He also mentioned that there is a story to tell about long COVID and and his experience with it, uh, and that will come at a later time. Uh, we know that that uh, he's an unrestricted free agent, um, and uh, it was sad to see him leave the Sh- the Chicago Blackhawks, but uh, we'd like to see him get back. Uh, on the ice, the kind of player that he is uh, with some team sometime in the future. Um, in uh, unfortunate news to have to pass along, four-time uh, Stanley Cup champion uh, Bobby Bond from the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, passed away at age 86. Um, you know, it's uh, Bobby Bond, of course, as we said, four, four Stanley Cups to his name. I know the, the Habs like to rib the Leafs on how long it's been since their last Stanley Cup, but Bobby Bond was part of uh, four Stanley Cup winning teams. But, Rick, there's another, there's a Canadian's connection to make here. Well, there is. And and first, I just want to say that that when you talk about toughness, there was none tougher than, than Bobby Bond. And we remember the famous story about uh, blocking a shot, breaking his leg, getting carted off the ice, um, and then getting taped up and coming back and scoring the, I believe it was a series winning goal, maybe even the Stanley cup winning goal, um, for, for the Leafs. Um, and a lot of that toughness and that grit was passed on to, uh, Kyle Bond. And we remember, uh, Kyle, um, that's, um, that's Bobby Bond's grandson. We remember, uh, uh, Kyle Bond as a member of the Laval rocket in the 2017, 18 season, and he was just an all-around great player, really strong and gritty and, and tough along the boards. 
Um, and so for Kyle and the rest of the Bobby Bond f- uh, family, we uh, send our condolences. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of condolences, uh, we also would like to pass along condolences to the family of Carrie and Angela Price uh, while they are unfortunately mourning the passing of Angela's father. Yeah, Angela posted uh, a picture of uh, her embracing her dad um, at, at her wedding with, with Carrie uh, just behind, and um, and she said, Yesterday we lost my dad. Words cannot express the immense love and gratitude I have for this amazing man. He provided me with the most wonderful childhood filled with love, laughter, and cherished memories. As I navigate this new chapter without him, I hold on to the lessons he taught me and the legacy he leaves behind. Forever grateful for the time we shared and the impact he made on my life. Rest in peace, Dad. You'll be deeply missed, but your love will forever live on in my heart. Um, Beautiful, beautiful message from Angela Price. Absolutely. And our thoughts and condolences to the Price uh, family as well. We are going to take our first break here at the Canadians Connection podcast. Um, Still to come, of course, we'll tackle that question of the week. Remember, we were asking who has been your favorite addition and or deletion from the Canadians roster in this offseason. And so we're going to read some of those comments uh, and collect those all, of course. Be sure to leave comments uh, at Rocket Sports on Twitter or at Rocket Sports on Facebook. But of course, coming up next in our big topic segment, we are going to discuss the fact that the Montreal Canadiens are going to be much younger in the upcoming season. And uh, let's talk about what some realistic expectations should be for this team and this roster in in the 2023-24 season. That is all coming up right after we hear from our sponsors over at DraftKings. So stay with us. You're listening to the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. New customers download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, KS. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casinos at Charlestown Races. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus leg requisite for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. And welcome back to the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. Once again, I'm Amy Johnson, uh, your host for today's show, while Michael Spinella is out of the office today. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Flyers Rule, 
And of course, with me in the studio is our president and founder of Rocket Sports and the site editor for the uh, the T uh, excuse me the Hockey News Montreal team site, Rick Stevens. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Rocket Sports. While you're at it, just follow ha- at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Bookmark our website at CanadiansConnection.fm. And, of course, be sure to subscribe to the Canadians Connection podcast uh, right there in your player or on your favorite podcast app. You know, we do like to mention and say, uh, of course, that we are a proud affiliate of the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, and, of course, uh, that's the spot, the the spot that you just heard from our sponsors over at DraftKings. Those incentives come courtesy of being an affiliate of the Hockey Podcast Network. Just want to give a big shout out to the network in general. Uh, hockey, the Hockey Podcast Network, hitting a big milestone this past week. Uh, now, one hundred podcast shows strong. That's right, 100 different podcasts available on the Hockey Podcast Network, including this podcast, The Canadian's Connection, as well as our AHL and Laval Rocket-focused podcast, The Press Zone, which I host uh, on Tuesdays. Um, all of it, big congratulations. It's, a, it's, it's grown and expanded into, into such a big network, and uh, just a big congratulations to all of the podcast producers and creators that are involved with the network. Uh, it's... Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, we've been uh, part of the Hockey Podcast Network for about three and a half years, uh, heading into uh, the fourth year in uh, the fall, and uh, it's been terrific. Um, the connections that we've made through the, the uh, uh, podcast network, uh, the folks that uh, manage it, and, and uh, there are some, some very, very good um, uh, podcasts on the network. Of course, mm-hmm. we're partial. We, we like the Canadians Connection. We like the press zone, and, and folks seem to like us too. <laughs> that is true. Hey, speaking of the Hockey Podcast Network, while you're at it, uh, if you check out their YouTube channel, uh, they just did a special show mm. that was an Atlantic Division preview for the upcoming season, and our very own Michael Spinella was repping the Montreal Canadiens' Uh, coverage on that episode. He was there representing Rocket Sports, Canadians Connection podcast, and giving his thoughts and insight on the Montreal Canadiens in terms of the entire Atlantic Division. So be sure to go check that out. It, uh, he did a great job and uh, would love for everybody to catch that. Yep. All right. So with Jeff Petrie having been reacquired and shipped out again in the luxuriously long length of time of nine days. (laughs) Um, You know, some people are very quick to, to maybe consider that the Canadians are, are getting close to that 23 man roster to start the season. But we do still have to keep in mind that there are a lot of decisions left to be made and perhaps not every move has been made yet. There's still some things in play uh, training camp is going to come along. It is going to be an exceptionally competitive training camp for a a, a core group of players. Um, and while we probably won't see any more surprising additions coming over the next month, uh, there could be some deletions off the roster. There might be some some minor moves that Kent Hughes makes uh, that that a player or two moves out. Um, so so some things to keep an eye on. Just as a reminder, who are the major additions and deletions so far in this offseason? Well, first coming in has been Alex Newhook, Leah Anderson, and Gustav Lindstrom. The first, of course, being forwards, the third being 
a defenseman. Uh, leaving the organization has been Joel Edmondson, Jonathan Duran, Mike Hoffman, and Rem Pitlick. So those are the major ins and outs as far as the roster goes for the offseason. And I think as we've talked about in previous weeks on this podcast, um, the the progression, um, the fact that, that uh, most people are saying that this squad will be a, a little bit better, marginally better than last year, is because of the deletions, not necessarily uh, the the additions. And and uh, the Canadians will get younger, you know, uh, veterans like Joel Edmondson, Mike Hoffman, Jonathan Drouin. Uh, but those were also the players who, um, you know, were, were on the minus side. Um, and uh, the Canadians should be better because they are no, no longer part of, part of this uh, squad. Um, you know, you mentioned a, a couple of different names uh, as far as additions. And the, ma- the only major one really is Alex Newhook. And Alex mm-hmm. Newhook is Kirby Doc 2023. Yes. Um, a, you know, a, a young player who has been underwhelming in the NHL um, and the Canadians are looking, uh, uh, you know, a, a high draft pick um, and uh, looking to turn uh, his fortunes around and help him reach uh, his potential. Um, but this roster is going to be younger. Um, and I read somewhere uh, that uh, it, it's, you know, out of the um, the roster, the 23-man roster, there could be as many as 11 players who are 24 years and younger. Um, that's going to be the major feature of this team. Absolutely. I I may have even seen a graphic somewhere that had the Canadians as like the fifth youngest in the league for this coming season or something like that. Mm, all right. It's going to be it's going to be pretty young. Uh, so that is, and I, I should say that goes along with saying, and that's a good thing because Mm. that is what they need to be doing at this stage of the rebuild. The roster needs to be young and these young players have to find their role, find their quote unquote voice on the ice within the team, find out what it is, figure out what they are going to bring to each and every game, make the mistakes they need to make, learn from them and start to become a cohesive unit a a well-oiled machine that learns how to work together through good times and bad on the ice and off as they slowly start to build that experience that in another few years could turn them into some uh, a a team that's actually a contender so that's what we want to see now, in terms of cap space for the coming year, uh, the Habs are approximately $3 million over the cap, but instead of spending up as they did last year, uh, it we talked about how Kent Hughes revealed a number of things in this, in this media availability he did about the Petrie trade, and one of them, one of the big ones, was that uh, he made it pretty clear that the goal is to be cap compliant with Carey Price's salary included. That means not putting him on LTIR in the offseason, but that means putting him on in-season LTIR. In fact, Kent Hughes, uh, here's here's what he had to say about the cap situation for the Canadians this upcoming season. Well, we often have discussions, which we did the year before too, and opted against it, um, which is to avoid going into off-season LTI. Uh, because when you do that, even if we, you know, use two million dollars or a million and a half dollars, let's say, we if we put carry price on on offseason LTI, his money's gone, um, and then we lose the flexibility during the year, which we did last year, right? Where with all the injuries and the recalls and bonus money, we get into overages 
which carry the uh, cap costs into the following year. So um, with each passing year, we're going to be more and more mindful wherever we can uh, to try not to do that and, and to preserve carry. The unfortunate part is when we bring carry into, we don't put them on LTI until in season. It's pretty hard to use $10.5 million of his money in season. So uh, LTI isn't a perfect situation for any team. I know some people think it's simple and you just use the money uh that that player's salary was occupied, but it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, having said that, you know, if we find opportunities again to like we did the last time around with Sean Monahan, where we think it's worthwhile, uh, we'll do it and put ourselves in offseason LTI. But, but we think as of right now, we're safe to go in season with Kerry. So like my piano teacher, Mrs. Bruzis used to say to me um, as after she explained something, Clear as mud, and I'd I'd shake my head, yes. (laughs) I didn't know what she was talking about. Um, Kent Hughes, maybe not the best explanation there, but it's a really complicated issue, and and we're not going to take the time to to explain all the ins and outs of it. Simply that last year, uh, they put Carey Price's salary, $10.5 million, in off-season LTIR. Uh, in that way, they were able to make the deal um, for Sean Monahan and bring in that big chunk of salary and make use of it. And they spent right up to uh, that $10 million mark and made full use of it so that that Kerry's uh, money was was kind of irrelevant. Uh, it didn't affect the the bottom line of, of uh, the Canadians last year. And in, in fact, insurance paid, paid a lot of it. So it didn't even didn't even really affect the budget that much. Um but the problem with that is um, then then you're you're maxed out uh, having spent all that ten million dollars. And so if there are overages and overages come in the case of of um, you know somebody meeting their their bonus, their performance bonuses in their contract, uh, then you go over the cap and that's taken out of um, the cap from the following year. So ideally, and what the goal is this year, is to account for um, carry in the in-season, in the, the final roster, have his 10.5 included in that. Um, and that way that they can uh, then, once the season starts, uh, put carry price. Actually, it's once the roster. It, it's not exactly when the, the season starts. It's a little before that when the roster, uh, the final roster gets submitted Um then carries put on um, in season uh, long term injured re- um, injured reserve, and they have the flexibility of using up to ten million dollars. As he said, they're probably not they they likely won't use all of it, but at least there there won't that will account for any kind of cap overages or bonuses, uh, performance bonuses, or that sort of thing. Problem with that is that right now they're sitting at about three and a half million dollars over the cap when you include Kerry's money. So in order to have him on in-season LTIR, um, they're going to have to somehow uh, shed about $3.5 million. And there's a, there's a number of ways to do that. One of them is sending uh, players who are waiver-exempt uh, on paper. They did it with Arbor Jacki just before the, the mm-hmm. season last year. Arbor Jacki was going to be in the opening night roster, but they sent him... Uh, to Laval on paper, so his salary wasn't counted and, and all that sort of thing. So that may happen, or uh, there may be some 
uh, trade. We talked about uh, Casey DeSmith uh, moving some of that money out. I think it's $1.8 million. That would get you halfway to uh, to what you need. Um, so there's going to be some minor moves coming. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense. Clear as mud. I know. Clear as mud, exactly. Um, so when it comes to how competitive this young Canadians team will be this year, I know that a lot of fans, I think there were still, I was pleased to see last year that there were still a number of fans uh, who were adamant that there was no rush to get the team back to being a playoff contender in the immediate future. Um, That they understood that there needed to be more time for learning and rebuilding and so forth. However, you know, when they would, you know, when you see Cole Caulfield doing what he was doing in the first part of the season or, or Nick Suzuki playing well, you know, it's, it's easy for, for fans to get excited about the, the what ifs and the possibilities and, Oh, maybe we're, Maybe maybe the Canadians are going to make the playoffs next year. When it comes to the Atlantic Division, um, it's folks, it's a really tough dis- division. It really is. Um, and while, yes, the Canadians have definitely made some positive changes to the roster in terms of who they've added and who they've deleted, um, they are still facing a really big uphill battle in terms of positioning within the Atlantic division and Kent Hughes was certainly not shy to say the same thing. Well, listen, we do have an overly competitive division or Uber competitive, and I don't think that's going to change here um, in the near future. You know, I think it has been for some time, if you really look at it right where for a period of years, you had Tampa, Boston and Toronto. Uh, it's not like any of those teams are going anywhere. And, and now we've got the Buffalo, and Detroit's and Ottawa's and Montreal's, uh, you know, trying to uh, to knock the door down here and, and climb into uh, a top three spot in the division. Uh, do I think we're ready? I, I think on paper the the answer is no. Uh, but I think I said that last year at the start of the season. You know, I'm an optimist, and we're going to let things play out. And there's a reason they play the games. And uh, I think we're a better team this year than we were last year and and but you know we've got a lot of work to do to become the team that we think we need to be so uh, we understand that that canadians fans are very hungry for a playoff team Mm -hmm. and that was reinforced um when when i read something uh this year that says that the canadians have not qualified for the playoffs in a full season of play in the atlantic division since the 2016-17 season now we remember the playoff run in 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 the COVID year. We remember yeah. the the play-in round against Pittsburgh and then losing to the Flyers, uh, but that was a shortened season as well. So they have not made the playoffs in a full season since 2016-17. So you can understand the feeling that you know they want to see uh, they want to see their team um, uh, in 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 the playoffs. Kent Hughes is saying on paper. No, that's yeah. unlikely to happen. Um, Tampa, Boston, Toronto are still there. And teams like um, like Buffalo, like Detroit, like Ottawa, they're also in a rebuild, but that rebuild is further ahead it than is. Montreal's. Um, so will they, uh, you know, will they, will they improve uh, this year? Uh, especially if they don't suffer the, the number of injuries they did last year, for sure. Probably, yeah. Are they a bottom five team again? No. Are they a bottom 10 team? 
I think Maybe. that's, yeah, I don't think they'll be anywhere near the playoffs, but probably in the bottom uh, 10 of the NHL. Just have to wait. As he said, they play the games for a reason. So <laughs> Ken Hughes likes to, to be an optimist, but he's also, it, it's, it's interesting. Um, there's a difference between being an optimist and a realist, and you can be both things at the same time. And I think that's kind of the mode that the Kent Hughes uh, yeah. was putting forward there. Um, all right. So we've talked a lot about all everything surrounding the roster, but what actually happens, what it comes to winning and losing games. It's all about the roster and who's playing on the ice. So at this stage in the game, we know, obviously, as we've said a couple of times now, there could be some moves, maybe to move some guys out. But as it stands right now, if you're looking for a 23-man roster, starting with the forwards, here's who we should expect to see. I'm going to run through the list just to give everyone a reminder, and then, Rick, we can talk a little bit about about what that makeup is. Um, we've got Suzuki, Caulfield, Newhook, Doc, Anderson, Monahan, Armia, Slavkovsky, Gallagher, Ulanen, Evans, Harvey Pinard, Pizzetta, and then one of Sean Farrell, Owen Beck, Leon Anderson, or Emil Heineman. And that gets us to to 14. One mm-hmm. of that grouping on the bottom plus the other 13. Um, one name you didn't mention is is Christian Dvorak. We uh, assume um, that he won't be ready to, to start. He'll, he'll be back uh, this season, but he won't be ready to start the season. So he'll likely start the season uh, on on the injury list with with Carey Price. Um, but but pick one of. Sean Farrell, Owen Beck, Leas Anderson, and Emil Heineman, and uh, you have a 14-man uh, forward roster right there. Absolutely. Um, and I'll give my – when we talk yeah. – the next the next thing we're going to talk about once we do this is talking about what potential lines could look like, and so I'll give my thoughts on who, who that extra person could be at that point. Uh, moving to the back end, uh, the defensemen, we've got Matheson, Gooley, Savard, Harris, Jackeye, Kovacevic, and one of Chris Weidman, Justin Barron, or Gustav Lindstrom. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Gustav Lindstrom um, is going to be an extra defenseman, probably behind Kovacevic. Um, Chris Weidman, a, a real good utility player and a nice guy to have around, really good guy in the locker room. Um, he might be their choice as as the uh, seventh defenseman, um, although he would he would look pretty good in Laval too, um, being a, a leader down there. Justin Barron, um, love to see Justin Barron part of this group, uh, particularly uh, to to give him the opportunity. He looked pretty good when he was in the lineup. Um, he spent most of the season in in Laval, but looked good when he was called up. And he's a, a right handed or a right shot defenseman, which. Uh, uh, the Canadians' uh, value, of course. Absolutely. And your two, two goaltenders are Jake Allen and Sam Montembeau. Obviously, we know uh, it's it's a question mark around what's happening with Casey DeSmith and a question mark as to uh, what will happen with Caden Primo as he is waiver eligible. So those are your two goaltenders. So uh, so we get the goaltenders out of the way before we get the, to the lines. Um, imagine that, that Primo is uh, claimed on waivers uh, or goes down to Lavelle. And that Casey DeSmith is, um, as as Kent promised, 
uh, not buried in Laval, and, and uh, he's he's uh, traded away. Uh, in Laval, what does that mean for Laval? Uh, well, Jakob Dobas, mm-hmm. uh, coming out of college, it would be his first pro season. Uh, Strauss Mann, mm-hmm. uh, who has, uh, he's, he's experienced, uh, and Zach Eman, who's probably destined to uh, head to Trois-Rivières, yeah. uh, yeah. but uh, available for a call-up as well. So what could the lines and defense pairings look like? We're going to focus, that's what we're going to focus on right now is, is, is the skaters today. What could the d- lines and defense pairings uh, look like on opening night? Um, well, they could look like this. Uh, and I think Rick and I actually spoke a bit about that. We're not going to each present our own um, lines and defense pairings because we actually spoke a at length about this prior to recording the show today. And, and most of this, we were pretty, pretty much on the same uh, thinking line of thought on, on. So we just kind of collectively came up with here's, here's the lines and defense pairings. If there's anything that either one of us differs on, we'll, we'll just point that out individually. Um, So top line of Caulfield, Suzuki and new hook, which Rick, I think for, for what, for what they gave up to get Alex Newhook, he better be off on the first line. <laughs> well, that's that's a good point. <laughs> Suzuki and Caulfield are are that's going good. to be together. They've had it's been difficult to find um, you know someone to to play with them and and offer them uh, what they need. Uh, Josh Anderson's been tried there many times that hasn't worked. I think Newhook may work, um, and he's comfortable at both center and. Um, and the wing Newhook may work on that line given his speed, mm-hmm. tremendous amount of speed, and that would be a real asset uh, on that line. Also, he's a center, uh, so he's comfortable with uh, the defensive responsibilities of a center. And and Suzuki, um, you know, his defensive metrics have been haven't been good. Um, uh, so this, I, I think this this is a line that could work. And as you said, um, if they're wanting to to give an opportunity to Newhook to show his potential, uh, what better place than than on the first line? Continuing on, and I should the caveat is that we are we're we're going under the assumption that Christian Dvorak yeah. will not be ready to start the season. So I'll have a comment about about the lines with Devo in it once we get through this. So this is this is kind of opening night. Dvorak is still injured. Uh second line would be Armia Doc Anderson. And I firmly believe Kirby Doc should have should just be stapled into the center position. Yeah. Uh and a second line center behind Suzuki is just the spot for him. Don't put him on the wing again. Leave him leave him at second line center. I think that's the perfect spot for him. And I think Armia and Anderson could could certainly be beneficial on his wing. Yeah, I really like this line. Um, you're right about Doc playing center. Uh, fans kind of liked seeing him with with uh, Suzuki and Caulfield, and and he did well. And and mostly because uh, he was defend he was responsible in a defensive way and made up for Caulfield. I think Newhook can do that just fine. Uh, and Kirby, Kirby Doc really came into his own and really showed his value. Uh, when he played center, uh, this is these are some big boys, and and uh, they could they could push uh, another line around. Anderson, speed, uh, forecheck, Kirby Doc, 
not afraid to to uh, mix things up. Armia might be a surprise, but Armia is really good on the boards um, and uh, could feed uh, those two. Again, uh, I think this changes. I'd I'd can I'd had considered Monahan because I really liked Monahan on the wing beside Doc. I liked how Monahan and Doc played together. Uh, but with Dvorak out, we're going to need uh, Sean Monahan to play center. Right. And so that brings us to the third line with Slavkovsky, Monahan, and Gallagher. Uh, here I am also in agreement with you here uh, that Slavkovsky starts down on on at least the third line. I, I think uh, we, we need to remember that Slavkovsky has actually not played a lot of NHL games. And I think that he is not ready to take a top six position yet. I think he needs to grow into that position. And I absolutely believe that putting him in, in a bottom six position is the right way to get him started this season. Absolutely. Uh, I've seen a lot of projections with Slavkowski up on the second line. It's not going to, in my opinion, it shouldn't happen. Why? Because um, he really had trouble in the few games, as you said, that he played in the NHL processing the game at speed. Um, we, we, we saw the number of, of hits he took and, and it, the game was moving way too fast for him. So starting at the, the third, maybe even the fourth line. And, and listen, if he, if he's improved, if he's, he processes quicker, um, if he has a better hockey IQ, is, uh, then you can move him up into Armia's spot. Um, he'd be fine on that line. And again, it would be a, a, a line of, of uh, uh, physical players. Uh, but I'd, I want to see Slavkovsky eased into it. Third line is probably best for him, and especially because he would be covered uh, by the veteran presence of a Monaghan and a Brendan Gallagher. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that leaves your fourth line of Rafael Harvey, Pinard, Jake Evans, and Jesse Ullinen. I am I'm firmly on board with this. Uh, I have been quite vocal in saying Jesse Ullinen absolutely 100% deserves a spot on this roster. Um, and Harvey Pinard has certainly shown his mettle uh, in terms of playing in the NHL. Um, and so if you, if you want to give them, you know, I, if there was only going to be one of them selected, I will go with Ulanen not only for where he is at in his development, but also because of the fact that he is waiver eligible. Raphael Harvey Pinard is waiver exempt. Uh, and so you would never want to risk losing Ulanen to a waiver claim. Whereas Raphael Harvey Pinard, you won't have to worry about that this year. Um, and Jake Evans, Jake Evans is just a solid fourth line center, does a does a very good job uh, back there centering that line. This line makes a whole lot of sense. Um, one because Harvey Pinard and Ulanen played together for yes. a time in Laval, but also because Ulanen and Evans are tremendous skaters. Both mm-hmm. uh, are strong skaters and with speed. Harvey Pinard not, but he can be the guy who goes to the front of the net. Um, and, and he's a fan favorite, but, but was, um, you know, higher in the lineup than he should have been last year, especially with all the, the injuries that the Canadians, uh, suffered. So, um, this I think would be a a lot of, a little bit of skill and uh, a lot of energy on that fourth line. Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I would agree with you there. Now, uh, I will say that I agree with you. Once once Christian Dvorak comes back into the fold, he obviously slots into uh, that third line center role for me. 
uh, which would, I agree with you, push Monahan back to the wing on the second line. Uh, he and Doc worked very well together, um, and it might then shift Armia and Slavkovsky down a little bit in the lineup, and that means then at that point maybe it's a Harvey Pinard that goes down to Laval since he can come back and forth uh, at free will. So That's right, and there's going to be injuries and, and, and all of that. Now, that those are the 12 players of the 14 forwards. That would mean that Leas Anderson and uh, Michael Pozzetta are are scratched, uh, the extra forwards. Um, so may, maybe it's not uh, Harvey Pinard, maybe it's Anderson that goes down. Or But but as you said, Harvey Pinard has the freedom to be waiver-exempt so he can come and go as he pleases. But, um, you know, there there may be a game where um, Ulanen uh, has to sit against a tougher lineup and, and Pozzetta's in there. Right, Absolutely. You know, and when we talked in just a moment ago about who the the one of the Michael Pizzetta is obviously going to be your thirteenth forward, um, and then one of Sean Farrell, Owen Beck, Leas Anderson, Emil Heineman. For me, I would like to see that be whittled down to being a race between Owen Beck and Emil Heineman. Um, Sean Farrell, I believe, will be in in Laval, um, and Leas Anderson. I would like to. I would like to see what he can do. He's performed very well in the AHL. Um, I don't know that he, like, basically I want to see what he does at training camp, but Owen Beck is in, is an option of he either plays in the NHL or he has to go back to the OHL where I think he's not well served to go back there. He doesn't have a Laval option. Um, yeah, just a point on that. And it was brought up by, um, um, one of our colleagues uh, on the team, Rocket Sports team, Mike mm-hmm. Rashel. Yes. Um, he would go back to Peterborough, the Peterborough Repeats, and in their run uh, to the Memorial Cup, um, they they you know they were all in. So the team that's left for this season is not going to be competitive, and that wouldn't serve uh, Owen Beck very well uh, to go back in that situation. So uh, the Canadians would want, as Mike says, some sort of commitment. Uh, that he's uh, dealt to a more competitive team uh, mm-hmm. to help his development. Otherwise, it only then makes sense uh, for him to be added to the roster. Sean Farrell was added at the end of the season, kind of against the wishes of Marty St. Louis, which um, didn't look too good there. But Sean Farrell did look good uh, and and would offer some offense to, uh, I think that's one of the, the issues with this uh, particular um, lineup is a lack of offensive uh, firepower. So uh, Sean Farrell would help there. Emil Heineman has been terrific in Laval for the short time he that lit he's, things he's up spent in the AHL. there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, he could steal a spot easily. Absolutely. So for me, I like I say, I think that extra spot, if it were up to me, it would come down to Owen Beck and Emil Heineman. Um, so we'll just have to see how that all shakes out. If we go to the blue line now, uh, taking a look at the top pairing, Caden Gooley, David Savard. And I don't think, I, I mean, how can you argue with that? Caden Gooley is your top young defensive prospect, and David Savard is a very steady, reliable, good mentor to have next to him on the top pair. Caden Gooley played exceptionally well with um, David Savard last year. Those two as as the top pairing, solid, reliable uh, Caden Gooley would would be the guy who's um, would would play the offensive role. That's why I see I, you know some some of the projections have him with Matheson uh, Gooley playing his wrong side. I don't like that. I also don't like that uh, Gooley would defer to Matheson uh, for uh, uh, providing the offense. So I like I like 
uh, Gooley and Savard uh, together, and um, and Gooley's going to be the number one defenseman um, on the top pairing um, throughout his career. Why not give him that responsibility now? And that would put Mike Matheson on a second pairing with Justin Barron, which I think is a much better matchup. Uh, as you had mentioned a few moments ago, Justin Barron obviously and absolutely showed what he could do at the NHL level when he was brought up for that short stint uh, at the end of last season. Uh, and he really uh, he really opened up uh, when he came up to the NHL. Sometimes there was a bit of hesitancy with him uh, it, while playing in Laval, and I think some of that was just due to um, you know, uncertainty of role or where he was played or how often he was played, but he really confidently came into the NHL and I would like to see him stay there and continue on that trajectory. Yeah. And, and being paired with a, a Mike Matheson um, who he, he can, he can follow and, 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 uh, and learn. I really want, I, I know that Baron can go to, um, to the, to the AHL this season, uh, but I'd really like to see him, be given the the responsibility yep. and uh, and and let it be a, a Chris Weidman, um, you know, or a Gustav Lindstrom that that heads to Laval instead. And and of course that also means let's not forget about Jordan Harris uh, rounding out the third pairing with Jonathan Kovacevic. Um, I actually I think in terms of rebuilding there is also team building, and I think if you have the three young guns there, Gooley, Barron, and Harris. As the three young, pro- the three youngest prospects on that back end uh, for for the Montreal Canadiens, I think that the three of them are going to start really bonding together, off ice and in the locker room as well. And I think that could be the start of a very nice core uh, with those three as they develop together. Um, so that's just kind of my two cents on that. But but yes, Harrison Kovacevic. As your third pairing, yeah, and and um, in in my model, I see Kovacevic as as the seventh defenseman, mm-hmm. and he'd be on a rotation with Arbor Jacki, mm-hmm. um, and so some you know many nights Arbor Jacki would be in there. Kovacevic did really well when picked up on waivers from Winnipeg last year, but you know not part of your long term plan, so he can afford to. Uh, sit for times. I think people forget about Jordan Harris, and I I saw during the summer. Uh, many trades included him as kind of a throw-in, and and, and uh, I think at times he was the Canadian's second best defenseman last year. Um, he he really um, showed how he can uh, move the puck, and also um, he's super smart and he knows how to defend. Um, doesn't have the the size to do that, uh, but he has the smarts to be able to put himself. Uh, in a position to defend, so plays a very mature game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's also very mature. Um, he's a yes. leader, um, and he had that role in college uh, as a leader, and he's brought that uh, to the Canadians as well. So Harris, some combination of of Harris, Kovacevic, and Jacki on on uh, the third pairing. So there you have it. That's that's that. And as we said, that's going to leave a couple of scratches, a couple of extra guys who are going to rotate in and out. But that's kind of, as I said, we didn't we we agreed on on most of our lines, uh, so kind of went along with with what you had originally drawn up here, and and just gave our opinions here and there as as to other things that could happen. But that's what we feel at this moment. Now, granted, there might be some of those guys still could get shipped out. We don't know, um, but at this moment, that 
could be early an early look at, at how things shape out uh, for for the Habs for this coming season. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I should say, this isn't what we think. Uh, we're not predicting uh, or we're not pretending to know what Marty St. Louis, uh, what's in his mind or, no. or Kent Hughes. This is what we think is best for the team, for the long-term future of the team, and for the, the uh, pro- yeah. for the rebuild, for yeah. the prospects involved. Absolutely. We'd love to hear what you think, too. If you've got mm-hmm. a different opinion, feel free to drop us a comment. Uh, you can leave us a text at the text line, 5853ROCKET, or, of course, leave us a, a comment on Facebook or Twitter, at Habs Connection. Uh, and so what we're actually going to do right now is we're going to take our final break. Uh, up next, we're going to read your replies to the question of the week. Uh, we're going to hear some of your feedback. We've got a great uh, Rocket Sports team member interview coming up, continuing that series. And you won't want to miss it. Uh, Nathan is in the hot seat this week. We can't wait to hear from him. So stay with us. You're listening to the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. It's summertime, and it means that, of course, it's music listening time. Whether you are chilling at the beach or at the lake or at the cottage, even in your backyard, out for a walk or a jog or driving and cruising with the windows down or the top down if you're lucky enough to have a convertible, it is summer music season. What have you got uh, playing on your favorite summer playlist right now? I've been listening to a lot of classic rock, a lot of 70s and 80s. You know, even if you're not going on vacation, summer is all about that vacation state of mind. And so whether you want to listen to those favorite tunes on repeat or you just need to retreat inside your own head for a little bit, uh, it's so much fun to create your own summer soundtrack. And I like to do that by popping in my Raycon wireless earbuds. There's just so much going on all summer. And sometimes you need some upbeat music to just pump you up before you uh, go out and and hit the beach with some friends or head over to a family barbecue. Or maybe you want to relax a little bit with some calmer music, guided meditation. You know, no matter what it is, if you're taking your earbuds on the go with you, maybe to the gym like I said, out for a jog or a walk, or maybe you're just relaxing at home and you want some great tunes. I love to listen to music while I'm in the kitchen working, uh, whether I'm cleaning or whether I'm cooking, baking, that kind of thing. So let me tell you, having your Raycon wireless earbuds is a great way to do that. Uh, They are the best way to listen to your music. You can use the earbud tap functions to toggle between three customizable sound profiles, noise isolation, and awareness mode, uh, which allows some environmental sounds in so that you can still kind of hear what's going on around you if you want. Raycons have a 32-hour battery life, including eight hours of playtime, so you can really listen to what you want, when you want, for a really long time. Uh, They come with custom gel tips for the most comfortable in-ear fit. That's a big one for me. Uh, In-ear earbuds and and gel tips are, are typically difficult to fit inside my ear so that they fit and stay in my ear have not had an issue with my Raycons at all. And they start at just half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good, if not better. Uh, Raycons come with a 30-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. 
So you can create your own soundtrack with Raycon. And right now, Canadians Connection listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com THPN. Really, this is an incentive just for listeners of the Canadians Connection. We want you to take advantage of this offer. So again, that's buyraycon.com THPN to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. And welcome back to episode 257 of the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. Don't forget you can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit our website at canadiansconnection.fm. And of course, we always encourage you to drop us a text on the Rocket on the Rocket Sports text line. That is 5853 Rocket. 5853 Rocket. We always want to hear from you. Uh, and you know full well that we will uh, sometimes pick out some of your best comments and read them on the air, which we're gonna do in just a little bit. But first. Uh, We want to give you what you need to know from the Rocket Sports team across all of our platforms for this week. Uh, We've mentioned it before. We'll say it again. New for this upcoming season, the Hockey News has released uh, team-specific websites for all 32 franchises in the NHL. And Rick Stevens has been named the site editor for the Montreal team site, which means uh, he is re- he's responsible for all the content that goes there and pulls content from his Rocket Sports uh, correspondence as well. So all of our coverage can be found this season and right now at THN.com slash Montreal. You want to bookmark that all season long. And uh, I've actually, Rick had a feature there this week, a uh, little bit of a, an analysis and an opinion piece about after the Jeff Petrie trades, how are the Montreal Canadiens better? Yeah, that's uh, a little bit of what we talked about today, but getting into a little bit more detail mm-hmm. um, if you want to read that and other uh, content. And and as Amy said, all of our all of the Canadians' coverage, whether it's the Canadians, whether it's the Laval Rocket, Trois-Rivières, uh, all prospects, all in one place at THN.com slash Montreal. Absolutely. Of course, uh, some of you may be listening to this podcast on our YouTube channel. And if you're not listening to this podcast via YouTube, well, then scurry on over to YouTube.com slash allhabs and tap that subscribe button and notification bell. Uh, Not only does the Canadians Connection podcast get released uh, every Monday on YouTube, Uh, I also host a weekly show there called Habs Hockey Report. It comes out on Thursdays. And uh, I had my own things to say about the Jeff Petrie trade. In fact, uh, the name of this week's episode was Jeff Petrie. Was this flip a flop? (laughs) I love that title. Was this flip a flop? Yeah. Good question. Watch the episode. Comment. Let me know what you think. I had my own question to ask fans in that one. Check that out. uh, And be sure you subscribe at all Habs on YouTube, youtube.com slash all Habs. And while you're there, uh, while you're listening, you might as well leave a comment. Yeah. Um, like it, like the, uh, the video that you watch, leave a comment like, uh, Matthew left a comment a couple of days ago, uh, on the episode, uh, called sounding off on a big hockey debate. That was the, uh, where we talked about enforcers and fighting. 
And Matthew says, best Habs hockey podcast. Wow. Wow. We're the Canadians connection. Thank you, Matthew. That's terrific. And and we're glad to hear that uh, it's your favorite, that the Canadians connection is your favorite Habs hockey podcast. We appreciate that. So let us hear from all of you. Uh, Always please comment. Uh, like and share the videos on YouTube. It just helps us reach a bigger audience and it tells YouTube, hey, we like this kind of content and we want to see more of it. Uh, Also be sure to subscribe to uh, both this podcast, CanadiansConnection.fm, as well as the Press Zone podcast. That's the one I host each and every Tuesday, focusing on the Laval Rocket, which uh, Patrick Williams also joins us to talk about uh, AHL league-wide news as well. Uh, you can find that at thepresszone.fm. And hey, uh, seems sneak, I got an invitation this week. At sneak peek, uh, the <laughs> the band is back together because yeah. Rick Stevens is also going to be joining me as well as Patrick on Tuesday. So the three of us will be on the press zone oh, this coming fun. Tuesday. Yeah, you won't want to miss that. Um, also, uh, we've already started receiving um, applications from folks via our join our team tab over at HabsHockeyReport.com. If you are interested in joining the Rocket Sports team for this upcoming season in any capacity, there's lots of different ways that you can participate and be involved uh, with the Rocket Sports team. And all you have to do is fill out. uh, There's an online form for you to fill out. It makes it really easy for you to do. Um, And you can find that at the Join Our Team tab by visiting HabsHockeyReport.com. Now this week, uh, we're continuing our series of getting to know our current Rocket Sports Media contributors. And so Michael Spinella sat down with Nathan this week to discuss his journey to becoming a Habs fan and why he joined the Rocket Sports team. Thanks, guys. And I would like to welcome uh, one of our Rocket Sports contributors, uh, Nathan McCracken, to the show. Nathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Michael. Thanks, Thanks for having me today. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to be with us. Uh, So every now and then uh, we like to do a get to know you kind of a segment, uh, get to know some of the people behind Rocket Sports. I know you joined, what's what's it been, like about a year ago? So I guess my first question for you, how did you find out about this opportunity and uh, what is is it that you do to uh, contribute? Yeah, so uh, you know how I how I found the opportunity at Rocket Sports is actually I started listening to the podcast in uh, like the winter of 2021. And I uh, got to, you know, listen to you guys and get to know uh, how you guys operate and uh, talk about, you know, Montreal Canadiens and some beautiful insight about, you know, how, how the Canadians are doing. Uh, but I, I came up with the opportunity um, about last summer, I think August, you guys were looking to add some some uh, help to the team. And I applied and uh, you, uh, Rocket Sports ended up hiring me in, in September of uh, 2022. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Uh, what uh, exactly is it that you do for contributing? Uh, so, uh, what what I do is I'm on the like I'm promoting all our content on Facebook and you know talking to fans and uh, you know being able to you know post on all different site uh, different groups for for our our um, our stuff our stuff we do. So, um, yeah, I just contribute through like the Facebook and you know talk to the fans and promote promote everything through Facebook. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, it sounds like uh, you might have some kind of a sales or customer service type background. Uh, what is it that you do outside of Rocket Sports? Yeah, so uh, actually what I do in the in the background is uh, I'm actually a sales manager for Kojiko. It's like internet TV home phone service. I, I run a, a sales team of like 30 people and 
uh, we're, we're able to, you know, promote internet TV, home phone and, and get, get everybody a great deal on their, on those uh, telecom things. And, um, you know, I just managed the sales team as well. I guess uh, in a weird way, you allow people to watch the Montreal Canadiens games when they are being broadcasted, right? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, in a way, I do do that for sure. <laughs> So uh, did you grow up a fan of the Montreal Canadiens? Is there uh, like some way that you became a fan? Was it just uh, your family's all Habs fans or how did that happen? Well, how that happened is actually I didn't start off being a a Habs fan. Actually, when I was a a little kid, I was living in BC and I really enjoyed uh, following the Vancouver Canucks when I was like eight or nine years old. But it wasn't until I moved to Ontario in uh, 2006 and I was like, well, I want to follow a team that's, you know, closer, closer to me. And um, I, I ended up, you know, following the Montreal Canadiens. You know, I did my research and I just, you know, I really enjoyed uh, how the Habs have been able to, you know, build the environment they're in and, and uh, have the team they have. So, um, yeah, I just I started doing that in 2006 and never looked back. Always been cheering on the Habs since then. You ended up in Ontario. You decided to follow a team that's nearby, and you didn't pick Toronto or Ottawa. You went with Montreal. So good choice, good choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, was there a particular favorite player uh, that you followed a lot growing up? Uh, yeah, honestly, like it, uh, it was um, like Alex Kovalev. I'm pretty sure he came in there 2008, I believe, uh, yeah. when he when he came to uh, Montreal and. I really liked like his skill and you know his way he can put the puck in the net and just his all around uh, sportsmanship on the team. So one of my favorite players is Alex Kovalev. But then, you know, falling in love with uh, Carey Price uh, when he first came on was uh, was another player I followed. Yeah, nice picks for sure. And uh, was this uh, back when you were uh, in BC that uh, those became your favorite players, or was there someone else that uh, you followed a little bit more in BC? Uh, to be honest, I, I was I was a little young to really be like following. Anyone out like from when I was living out in BC, it wasn't really until I moved to Ontario and, and I did my research on the team and, and started uh, liking those players. Mm-hmm. So uh, where in Ontario did you end up moving and uh, do you have a lot of Habs fans in that area too? Uh, I moved to uh, Fort Erie, Ontario. It's uh, 15 minutes uh, south of Niagara Falls. And honestly speaking, there, there's not many Habs fans that I've I've been able to see that's mostly uh, Toronto fans, to be honest. And uh, how do you find that being surrounded by Toronto fans all the time? Are you faring well? Do you get in a lot of arguments or how does that go for you? (laughs) Uh, Sometimes I just got to watch what I say sometimes, Uh, you know, um, you know, being a Habs fan and and Toronto being our rival, uh, you know, I just got to watch what I say sometimes because I'm I'm outnumbered most days. (laughs) Yeah, I can understand that completely. Have you had a chance to attend a live Habs game? And uh, was it uh, like here in uh, Montreal at uh, Bell Center or would it have been in Toronto? Uh, so actually, I, I've been to, you know, four Habs games. Um, I moved out, I moved back out west in 2016 and uh, I was there till about uh, 2020. But I was able to see the Habs play the Canucks uh, every year uh, from 2016 to 2020. So. I'm yet to go to the Bell Center to to watch a game, but that that's my next move. Oh wow! How how did you find that uh, going to a game out west like that? The atmosphere must have been really cool. Oh, it was like it was a sea of red everywhere. Like it was more Habs fans than Canucks fans every game we showed up, and the energy was just it was lively for sure. It was it was an amazing feeling. Oh, for real! Lots of Habs fans out that way. I wouldn't have realized that. 
Yeah, it was a lot. There's a lot out there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess taking a look at uh, a little bit more into your fandom here, uh, do you have a favorite piece of uh, Habs or hockey-related memorabilia? Uh, honestly, I, I actually have a lot of uh, like just Montreal Canadian stuff in general. Like I, I, I have like jerseys, hats, you know, uh, license plate cover, you know, you know, everything for my car. I, I don't really have a favorite. I just anything Montreal Canadiens I'll buy and, and, and put in my room or anywhere in my house. Mm-hmm. like uh on those jerseys do you have any name plates on the back uh actually i don't have any specific names i have my name and then i have a couple blanks but my my next jersey i want to get is like uh you know suzuki and caulfield you know the the young players that we have in our system now yeah that seems like a safe choice i always worry with that stuff that the moment i buy a jersey they'll be traded or they'll leave somehow so uh, i think putting your own name or leaving it blank's a good way to go also suzuki caulfield still pretty young so that's probably a safe bet for you Oh, yeah, for sure. No, it is, for sure. (laughs) Well, uh, Nathan, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on here, and uh, it was really nice to get to know you. I know our listeners and some of my colleagues will uh, enjoy listening back to this and getting to know you as well. So uh, thank you very much for your time, and I hope you have a great day. Oh, no, thank you very much, Michael, and uh, thank you very much for the opportunity, and I hope you have yourself a great day as well. Well, that was a terrific interview. Thanks uh, for doing that, uh, Michael, and thanks to Nathan uh, Nathan's our uh, social media specialist. He's been with us a year. He's very good at what he does. Um, and uh, we have very uh, a very talented team, multi-talented team from all over uh, Canada and, and uh, the U.S. Um, who contribute and want to be a part of the Rocket Sports team and love the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, so if you want to be one of those uh, and part of our team, uh, please follow the instructions that Amy gave you earlier and uh, and apply to join our team. Don't forget, we want to hear your answer to our Canadians Connection question of the week. What do you think was the best player addition and or deletion to the roster in this offseason? Send us a text at the Rocket Sports text line, 5853ROCKET, or leave us a comment at Habs Connection on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or when this episode comes out on YouTube, Uh, On Monday, you can leave us a comment there as well. Uh, Be sure to let us know what you think the best player addition or deletion for the roster was. Uh, In terms of uh, Rick mentioned that we had that that terrific uh, comment about the podcast on YouTube from the latest Canadians Connection episode from last week uh, where uh, Rick and Michael were talking about enforcers and the hot debate of whether or not fighting in hockey is still a necessary part of the game. Uh, There were a boatload of comments on Facebook off of that particular episode. And so we've uh, picked out a handful of them to, to read uh, and acknowledge. And uh, Rick, I think you're going to start with a message from art. Yeah. uh, This, there are, are, are fans, uh, hockey fans, certainly Canadians fans, but hockey fans of all kind, uh, who have really strong opinions on the issue of fighting. And so uh, we had comments on on uh, Twitter, now called X, uh, on Facebook um, and and via our text line. The, the phone was ringing off the hook. Can you can you say that anymore? You can't say I'm that still anymore. going to. I'm still I'm still going to say that till the day I die and I'm still going to call it Twitter till the day I die. So. So we're going to focus. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to focus on the comments that, that came in via Facebook uh, this week. Uh, the first from Art. Uh, Art's in Barrie, Ontario, and is a, a Habs fan. And he says, 
I was born in 51, and there were goons or players that were hired strictly for the purpose of fighting. I remember in the 60s and 70s going to see a Sunday night, uh, going to see on Sunday night the junior Canadians who played in the OHA then. Good hockey, but talk about brawls and bench-clearing brawls. But the time has changed. The game's much faster, and most, most of the players are bigger. But still, protection is needed for the much highly talented players, McDavid and so on. So yes, fighting will go on. And I think there's nothing, nothing wrong with what most fighters, um, because they are more talented than the goons back in the day. (laughs) Okay, all right. Uh, Prabjot from Edmonton, Alberta says yes, meaning is, so it's answering the question, is fighting in hockey still a necessary part of the game? Prabjot says yes, but you can eliminate bench clearing brawls. If you eliminate fighting altogether, star players will continue to get hurt. The stick work may cause more serious injuries. Petrangelo wouldn't have dared to attempt a two-handed slash on Dreisaitl if the NHL would allow enforcers to do their jobs. And that's a good point. It is. Uh, Don from Fort Erie, Ontario. Nathan's also from uh, Fort Erie. Uh, But Don from Fort Erie says, in order for fighting to be removed from hockey first, the officiating needs to be done much more effectively. If an official will not hold the dirty player accountable, then players have no choice but to deal with it themselves. And I think that's an excellent point, mm-hmm. is um, some of the the vigilante justice, the justice on ice, is because a lot of things get missed uh, by the, the uh, officials. Absolutely. Uh, finally, Michael from Labrador City in Newfoundland uh, says, yes, always has been part of the game, and if it's taken out of the game there will be more dirty hits. And I think that kind of goes along with, with, with what Don was just saying, too, a little bit there. If, if, you, if you take that aspect out, players are going to take it upon themselves uh, and things are going to get chippier than they need to be. We had all kinds of comments. So we had uh, comments of, of folks referencing CTE. We mentioned uh, um, the research on that and, and how that's um, you know been connected to the concussions have been connected to fighting although Gary Bettman doesn't want to admit that. And and so we, we had lots and lots of, of different comments. This was an email uh, from our dear friend uh, Dino and Gatineau, and I'll read uh, I'll read it as is. Perfect. Uh, Slubien, merci pour le podcast. Wow, what a topic. Topic being fighting in the QMJHL uh, is, is his um, subject line. Hmm, now, where shall I start and how to end? Uh, Rick, I checked out your top five, um, and he's referring to, I did the top five, and this can be found uh, also on uh, our our website on uh, the hockey news, thn.com slash Montreal. I did the top five enforcers of all time for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, check that out uh, if you missed it. Um, so Dino says, I checked out your top five, Rick. Exemplary work, Rick. Exemplary. Honorable. Honorable mention to the rocket, which I had in in the article. He had no one to defend him. He did it for himself and his teammates. Incredible and true. Love all those guys, Rick, would have uh, everyone on my team. They sacrificed self to defend their teammates. That's the highest honor. Even those you mentioned in the preamble, and I mentioned Terry Harper, uh, Bouchard, Larry Robinson, Riseborough, etc., uh, they are building blocks for life. Now the tough part. Do we continue to allow it in junior hockey? In my humble estimation, I would say no. There's zero tolerance for violence and fighting is violent. 
Aggressive play, okay. Contact, okay. Physicality, okay. Intimidation, okay to a degree. (laughs) Cheap shots, not okay. Using fighting to eliminate cheap shots, putting your fist to the face of another is not the answer. Standing up for a mate is premortal. Uh, But if we use violence in in retribution, what has been achieved? The violent aspects of hockey need to be addressed at the root. Uh, our culture, the culture of the game, from Adam to Pee Wee to Bantam to Midget to Junior, etc. Aggression and violence has been tire- tolerated part of our culture. Change our culture, change our attitudes, and then change the game. We're human. We want to win at times at all costs. Isolated acts uh, that cross the line may be present, but as long as it's the exception and not the rule. So in my opinion, fighting in the QMJHL, no. That's a good call. Uh, and he says, P.S., think of poor Johnny Cordick. Uh, it didn't have to be that way. And we know the tragic story mm-hmm. of John Cordick, who appeared in my top five uh, list of enforcers. So we really appreciate uh, Dino, who took the time uh, to um, to articulate his thoughts and send us an email. If you have an email to send, send it to hello at rocketsportsmedia.com. And we always love to hear from you, no matter how, how you reach out to us, uh, our our fans, it's such a passionate fan base, as we've said before. Uh, you've got so many opinions and perspectives. We always love to hear all of all of them, and so send them in. Uh, don't forget, if you are heading out to Lasso Montreal uh, on Saturday night, have a great time. Be safe. Next Saturday, of course, uh, we'll be back with another episode of the Canadians Connection podcast. And hey, I'll be back. Nice. That's great. Yeah, I I get to come back again next week. So thanks for having me this week. I look forward to being back again next week. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the Canadians Connection on your favorite podcast app. Share it on social media. And we'll see you back here again next Saturday for another exciting episode of of the Canadians Connection podcast right here on Rocket Sports Radio. Click subscribe so you never miss an episode of Canadians Connection. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rocket Sports.